Well? The boy is suicidal, honey. He's a walking dead man. Keeps going on about hell and purgatory. When I phoned you yesterday, did I ask you, Ken, will you do me a favour and become Ray's psychiatrist, please? No. What I think I asked you was, could you go blow his fucking head off for me? He's suicidal. I'm suicidal. You're suicidal. Everybody's fucking suicidal. We don't all keep going on about it. Has he killed himself yet? No. So he's not fucking suicidal, is he? He put a loaded gun to his head this morning. I stopped him. He... This gets fucking worse. We were down the park. Let me get this right. You were down the park? What's that got to do with fucking anything? Let me get this right. Not only have you refused to kill the boy, you've even stopped the boy from killing himself. Which would have solved my problem. Which would have solved your problem. Which sounds like it would have solved the boy's problem. It wouldn't have solved his problem. Ken, if I had killed a little kid, accidentally or otherwise, I wouldn't have fought twice. I'd have killed myself on the fucking spot. On the fucking spot. I'd have stuck the gun in my mouth on the fucking spot. That's you, Harry. The boy has the capacity to change. The boy has the capacity to do something decent with his life. Excuse me, Ken. I have the capacity to change. Yeah, you do. You have the capacity to get fucking worse. Ah, oh, yeah, now I'm getting down to it. Harry, let's face it. And I'm not being funny. I mean, no disrespect. But you're a cunt. You're a cunt now. You've always been a cunt. And the only thing that's going to change is you're going to become an even bigger cunt. Maybe you have some more cunt kids. Leave my kids fucking out of here. What have they done? You fucking retract that bit about my cunt fucking kids. I retract that bit about your cunt fucking kids. Insulting my fucking kids? That's going overboard, mate. I retracted it, didn't I? Listening, you are hearing the Cinema Nine Pod. If you watch, you'll be seeing us. It is I, Michael Govier, Travis Roy, and Eric Brandstrom. Three guys who make up the Cinema Nine Podcast. It doesn't just have to be guys, it just happens to be that we are guys. And, you know, we love movies. We always have. We've known each other for a long time, and that's kind of how the show came together, you know? We figured, why not? Let's talk about movies. So this is a show about film. CinemaNinePod at gmail.com is how you can contact us if you'd like to submit a question or commentary about anything you see or hear. And today's show will be about Eric's selection, 2008, in Bruges. Not Bruges, not Bruggas. In Bruges. I didn't, Travis, I didn't know exactly how to 
write this one out until I saw it, but I now know it's Rouge, but it's B-R-U-G-E-S. Our first dip into Flemish on the show, I believe. Hmm. Oh, really? I think so. All right. Likely. It's a show first. Yay! Yay! Uh, Who are the Flemish, by the way? Belgians. Oh, I didn't know that. I I honestly know little. I realized when we'll talk about this, I don't know a lot about Belgian culture or the Belgians themselves. Oh, I I said that like I I knew. I I don't know that the Flemish. (laughs) There was a question mark at the end of that for the record. Belgians. I think. Uh, Belgians? Okay, great. Well, well, sure. I mean, aren't they like Welsh? Like that whole general kind of, oh God. This, you know, Welsh. Uh, Isn't that Wales people? Well, yeah, no. I mean, it's not I'm not saying like they're like the Welsh, but I mean like, you know, there's these groups of people in like, you know, Northwestern Europe. Uh, Battle you know, of Hastings changed things. There were yeah. Saxons, Normans. Yeah, uh, right. Celts, yeah. King like Harold, right? Harold the Great. And right. uh, yeah, not my yeah. time frame. I'm pretty ignorant. You guys are smart. All I have is strawberries on a waffle. Mm. Oh, right. Those are nice, too. (laughs) I love Belgian waffles. In fact, if you had to, is that your number one go-to, Eric? Belgian waffles, topping. On my waffle or pancake. I don't like chocolate chip pancakes, blueberry pancakes, any shit on my waffles. Just straight the the product and syrup. Wow. I love. I like some whipped cream and some fruit on a Belgian waffle once in a while. I'll do it. I'm a Greek omelet man if we're if we're talking breakfast here. Well, Ooh. I didn't think we were doing that though. I think we we're <laughs> focusing specifically on waffles. He brought in pancakes, which I would allow, but omelets. I, now we're going into a category I don't want to get into. So, but it's kind of French. It's a French word, right? So we're still staying in Europe. Omelet, 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 omelet. It sounds very French to me. I always thought the people who took French in high school were weird. I'm like, why are you taking French? When are you going to use French? I thought Spanish was much more applicable, in my opinion. Spanish, to me, was significantly easier. I've never... uh, The French accent, to me, is a mystery. Can't do it. Yeah, we get a lot of the French Canadians as border guards here, so when I come through to Canada to visit, it's so distinct. Their accents are so strong and rich. It's fascinating. really fascinates me. What's the most fascinating accent? Send them an iPod at gmail.com. Let us know in the emails. Of course, today we'll focus on In Bruges and the main focus of our show, which we will timestamp. We're starting to do timestamps now. We've grown up. We've matured. And I suppose, Aww. yeah, <laughs> ah, yes, look at us. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to give credit to that one person, whoever it was, who got a little pissy about a lack of timestamps on one particular episode. Got us motivated, Travis, and now we're doing timestamps. We've come so far in three years almost. Timestamps. <laughs> <laughs> this is the show where we focus on timestamps. Does that intrigue any of you? Is anyone interested? Either way, timestamps help, and I appreciate that because we really do start each show with some bullshit. We talk about some of the movies we've watched we'd like to recommend recently, and sometimes we have a topic. We uh, have floated around that we'd like to talk about our favorites of 2022 which i think we'll do next week eric are you comfortable doing that next week are you ready to talk about the best movies of 2022 i lost my train of thought and started to think about a science fiction movie starring terrence stamp called time stamp like i don't know cop like time cop meets the limey time stamp starring terrence stamp as himself traveling (laughs) back in time to uh knock off some hits or something there's something there there's something there it's small but there's something there just work ron silver into it and we're all happy okay uh yeah next week i'm cool for a best show (laughs) as long as uh can we get terrence stamp to say his 
big line from the limey in this one still? Could we reuse the lines? He'll be like, you tell them I'm fucking coming back in time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, too, uh, we've also done the sh- the movie Time Bandits, which was a selection sure. of Travis's. And we're actually going to talk about that when we talk about In Bruges, oddly yeah. enough. It was referenced in the film. It was. I got very excited. I felt more knowledgeable just knowing that because, well, I'll save it for later. But we usually right. we get into the main event of our weekly episodes about a half hour in so that's why we do timestamps now let you guys know youtube allows you to put timestamps that breaks them up into chapters so you guys can fast forward if you prefer the opening then you just play the show but if you don't like our bullshit in the opening and you want to get to the main focus in the big film of the week for each episode then we understand do what you gotta do if you want less of us that's fine it's fine (laughs) we can live with that i don't know if it's less of us maybe it's just a more direct route to uh people you know this, Travis, better than anyone. People are attached to certain films. They really are. Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of times they don't want, you know, especially if they're not a regular listener. They're like, why is this person talking about breakfast? We want to hear about a <laughs> film. Yeah. So that's fine. That's fine. Well, people fine totally welcome breakfast talk. So <laughs> we're glad to have both fans. I kind of wish we'd just shift gears and be like, you know, talk about breakfast every episode. <laughs> yeah, I like talking breakfast. I don't eat breakfast, but I do like talking about it. I find it to be a uh, uh, what a genre of food sessions, of eating <laughs> sessions that I rather okay. rather like. A lot of a lot of ways to go with breakfast, but like Travis has said before on this episode and many episodes before it. Well, he didn't technically say it on this episode, but. Uh. You've always had a fear at times that you don't love to, sh- you don't want to shit on any movie too hard because there's always somebody out there who's a diehard fan of every movie. Could be the worst movie that some of us ever thought existed, but to someone else out there or to many others, some movies that are loathed by some are their diehard go to bread and butters. Well, clearly, if you listen to the show regularly, you know I forget that from time to time and then just shit on the movie anyways. But, yeah, I mean... Generally, <laughs> I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I'm, I've definitely checked in on a podcast or two before and been like, oh, they're going to talk about The Road to Wellville or, like, Blind Fury or, like, some movie that I love. And then, like, you're listening to it and you're like, oh, well, this is just an hour and a half of them trashing this movie I like very much. But it's not exactly <laughs> entertaining to me, which uh, sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes yeah. that's what we do. So. What's the best breakfast scene in a movie? Uh, mm. Reservoir Dogs. Ooh, that's a pretty yeah, quick response. I, I was going to say, uh, yeah, well, but still, I mean, like they're actually eating when he's talking about okay. like a virgin and all that kind of stuff. You that's know, a good one. It's a good one. It's memorable. Uh, the first one that came to mind for me was "Can't Hardly Wait." I don't know why, but I just know they're having <laughs> breakfast the next morning. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, or or uh, knocked up after uh, they have sex the next day. Sure. It's really awkward at the diner. So. Yeah. yeah. He starts talking. About- <laughs> yeah. By the way, I saw Catherine Heigl on a television screen last night. Totally random. She's alive and well, folks. Was it Just that NyQuil let- commercial? She had no lines, and like, but it was Catherine Heigl. <laughs> a NyQuil commercial? Yeah, I wasn't this happened, like during the whole like she was ousted from the community for having like a big mouth or whatever. Oh. But she was just in a night. She just woke up and yawned in a NyQuil commercial. And we're talking like somebody who's like right up there with uh, acting with heavy hitters. NyQuil <laughs> woke up and yawned. Catherine Heigl. That <laughs> no, was not it. There's a new show on Netflix, or maybe it's newer to me that she's in. Um, Something about Firefly Lane or something like that. Missed that one. Yeah. Anyways, I saw her face. She's a little older now, but she looks like she's doing well. So good for you, Catherine Heigl. Good for you. Keep going, Katie. Yeah! 
All right. Well, pop that NyQuil, folks, as you continue to listen to and watch our show. We got a big year coming up. 2023 is going to be our, uh, gosh, our we're going to call it our fourth year. Will it be our fourth year? Because you had 2020, you had 2021. This was 2022. And we're going to go into our fourth year. We'll go into our fourth year after April. So, yeah. We're finishing wow. our third year. So, it's happening. We did it. I'm so Cinnamon proud of it. Empire. That's happening. Yeah, Cinnamon Nine Empire. <laughs> well, we, we, we've had our ups and downs this year. We, you know, usually, again, scheduling quirks. It's the holiday season. So, usually we try to do the show on Thursdays. And once we settle back into that routine, it'll become consistent again to you all. And then I'm sure another scheduling thing will happen and we'll change again. But until that day. We try to do the shows on Thursday evenings. And if you want to listen to it anytime, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You know how it works. You people listen to podcasts. You watch stuff on YouTube. You know how all the rating systems work and why they matter. I don't think I have to explain it to you. So if you could just participate, yeah. we would uh, be eternally grateful. I mean, it's the end of the year. It's like holiday time. You're doing some shopping. You're trying to like you know organize your life. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what have I done for Cinema 9 podcast lately? Well, what you could do. Yes. <laughs> no. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love it. All right. Well, and yeah, if you want to give us a little gift, click the five-star thing. But let's uh, let's move on. I don't want to move on. I want right, to live well, in the moment. Can okay, we live well, in the moment? I don't know. Keep on haggling. We'll keep on. Uh... <laughs> you want to haggle? Let's <laughs> haggle over breakfast items. All I right. think I shrunk the kids. Great breakfast scene. Big Cheerio. <laughs> yes. Oh, the big Cheerio. Yeah. Good call. That's a good call. Well done. I'll, I'll still probably take Reservoir Dogs, but that's number two. Yeah. All right, Travis, uh, let's move into quarantine viewing picks. We used to call them that. We're, we're no longer in quarantine. We just review films. Actually, we just watch stuff, and we'd like to share what we've watched with you recently, and you guys could take it or leave it. So what should we take or leave from you this week, Mr. Roy? Yeah, I guess we just keep calling it quarantine viewing picks. but uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a hearkening back to the early days. You know? Yeah. Well, honestly, guys, strap in. I got a lot to say here. I watched a lot of fucking movies over the last few days, uh, last week, and I watched a lot of really good movies. To start with, I'm going to give you a warning. You may feel compelled to check back in with Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. You might say to yourself, it's been 20 years. Perhaps it's not as terrible as I thought. Don't do that to yourself. You deserve better. <laughs> Don't revisit Eight Crazy Nights. Oh, shit. Wow. Okay. I strongly suggested not doing that. I never saw uh, it. I, I oh, guess I, I kind of want to see it now because of what you're saying. So. It's incredibly, incredibly bad. I mean, just, Ooh. I mean, like, even by the standards of 2002, it's like, what the fuck? You put that in the movie? <laughs> uh, it's unreal. Just bad. Uh, but I watched a lot of good movies, to be honest. Um, but I also, I I have been watching, I watched every 177 episodes of Golden Girls over oh the last uh, few months. <laughs> Uh, and I, I am, of course, now starting uh, Golden Palace, starring, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the original cast minus B. Arthur, but plus Don Cheadle and Cheech mm -hmm. Marin, which is Absolutely. interesting. Um, but, man, you know, 177 episodes of gold in Girls. I mean, it's really just great. Show. I mean, it's, it's it's so fucking it's still so good. It's really I just it's um, there's a reason why people still watch it. And God damn it. It's still a really good show. Um, I checked in on a lot of the big heavy hitters uh, of the last year and that kind of stuff. Uh, I just finished The Woman King just now and certainly enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it took a little while to get off the ground, and I thought like it could have used some more Viola Davis for being heavily focused on her in the in the um, advertising and whatnot. I mean, she is the main character, but there's a lot of other characters that you spend more time with than you probably want to, but it's certainly worth checking out. I checked out uh, Ticket to Paradise, the new Clooney and uh, Roberts vehicle. Okay. 
Dude, if you have any love or affection for those actors, or if you like like the romantic comedies of the '90s and early 2000s, I mean, it's a hearkening back to that for sure. To reuse mm. that phrase, I, I I loved it. Was oh. it a surprise in any way? No. Was it formulaic? Yeah, but I I just loved it. Um, <laughs> What's it on? Uh, that is on Peacock right now. Mm. So check that out. Uh, checked out the Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Did you guys watch that? Eric, loved it. Loved, loved it. it. Yeah, I loved, loved it. it. I loved it too. It was beautiful. Loved I mean, it. It was, it was gorgeous. And I, you know, I feel like there's so much attention given to Guillermo del Toro, the storyteller, teller Guillermo del Toro, the um, the horror master, the writer, etc. But anti-fascist also. I mean, the man is the anti-fascist of, in, of as far as filmmakers go of the this time. Every almost everything he does is such a pronounced denunciation. Of that mindset i just love it it was so good um i revisited unbearable weight of massive talent and i think i loved it even more the second time it's so fucking great it's so funny um if you've not seen unbearable weight of massive talent it's not just a oh. celebration of nicholas cage it is a celebration of cinema of friendship of life i just love it it's so good i uh i did I, f- I finish it. Remember, if you recall, not everyone will, but mm. I watched the first 20 minutes of it a few months back, and then I just had something else to do, so I paused it, and I forgot to go back. But I did go back to it a couple weeks ago, and I did finish the film. So I would say it's not bad. It's, a, it's an enjoyable film. And, yes, it is really about not Nick Cage. It's really about the passion we have and people, the affinity, the love, the desire that movies inspire and create in so many millions of people across the world in all countries. And it doesn't matter where you're from or what you're into. Movies have inspired every part of our population on this planet. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's a film, the unifier. It's a celebration of that as well. Uh, it's just a fun movie for me. Speaking of not a fun movie. Uh, I watched Emancipation from 2022, the, the newest oh. film. Uh, with, with, okay. And if Will Smith gets nominated for an, an act, an, an Academy Award for this for Best Actor, I won't be surprised and I won't be mad. This is a better performance than King Richard. It is an incredible performance. Wow. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is the hardest watch I think I've had in a long time. Um, it is a grueling watch. I mean, it is like a horror show, a cavalcade of just the 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 worst parts of slavery put on film like i show 12 uh 12 years of slave to my students i'll never be able to show i'm not going to show emancipation to high schoolers it's just too much and wow. it, is, it is brutal it is just uh it's a it's an endurance test and i think everyone should watch it and i'm probably never going to watch it again <laughs> i'm a little worried antoine fuqua would like try to just make it like a thriller and like popcorn uh-huh. it up and cheese it up um, it's not that it is not like an action movie. I mean, I, ki- I mean, it kind of is, but it is mostly, um, it's just watching this guy go through fucking hell here. Watch this guy go through. You know, it reminded me of the passion of the Christ actually. How's Ben Foster? Ben Foster is brilliant as always. And, uh, steadily getting repeatedly typecast into 19th century villain. Um, oh, boy. Is, I don't want to see that happen to him. I-, I loved him in hustle. Um, but, uh, so he does branch out and do some different kind of stuff, but yeah, different he's villains, different villains. I checked out bros. You know, this has been a very oh! contra- like a controversial divisive movie. Did you watch it too? No, but this is very, I, very controversial. A lot of talk about this film. I can't wait to see. I'm ready. I'm listening. I mean, Sorry. people of every, like there, I've read reviews from extremely conservative homophobic people that hated it. And I've read reviews from like 
LGBT people who fucking hated it and then vice versa. Um, it, it seems like there are people on every side that love it and hate it. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was so funny. It was so raw and it was so like, I mean, if you don't like, um, what's his name? What's the dude's name? I'm blanking on his name. Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. You know, you know, I'm I know. To, I'm yeah, the to, guy. I can't think of his name right now because yeah, he's the guy who's the man on the street who uh, does that stuff. Bill, Will, you know, buddy, Bill, buddy, Bill, Eddie, Billy, buddy, Bill, Billy Eichner, Billy Eichner. Thank you. Uh, if you don't like Billy Eichner, you're not going to like the movie. So just don't even bother because he's got like a very you know like a distinct kind of delivery and he plays like a bitter guy. But I thought these characters were flawed and funny and believable and. Um, I, I just I really, really like bros quite a bit. I'm going to strongly recommend that movie. I want to ask one question about this, because this is, again, in the vein of Judd Apatow giving a platform to somebody who's an up and comer, doesn't necessarily have the full clout to make the movie. But it's it's a personal story, I assume. Mm-hmm. to billy eichner i would guess because i, I get the, we got, I get the feeling. okay well you watch it i didn't so i'm just that's why yeah. i asked because we had the of course the pete movie where the king of staten island that was a personal story for mr pete what's his face and then there was yeah. even uh amy schumer that was yeah. like a story about her life in a way and so he's basically what you have now is apatow's this shepherd for comedians to tell a story now because he yeah. has the clout to do that and uh, I think that's cool. So I'm I'm glad that you said it was good. It makes me want to watch it for sure. Now I'll definitely try to move it up my list. I I laughed. I cried. And uh, you know I was I mean I, again like I don't think this movie's for everybody. I think a lot of people are gonna find this pretty middling. But I, I it hit it right in the head for me. I thought it was great. Okay. Um, I checked out the Banshees of In Sharon. Have you guys did you guys watch this? No. Wow. I thought maybe you guys would give it a shot since it's on HBO Max right before we did it in Bruges. I don't have that in Canada. Well, yeah. Maybe if you hadn't turned your back on America, you could enjoy yeah. the fine films oh. of HBO Max. Defecto. You had it all, and you turned your back on it. <laughs> Dude, uh, if this gets best picture, I'm not going to be mad. I loved it. I loved, I, I loved the Banshees of, of Inna Sharon. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about the plot. I recommend going in as blind as you can. I knew, I knew nothing about it beyond the actors and writer-director. Uh, the same of the film in Bruges, but oh, so I, I would oh. hurry. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Yeah, it would have been a good idea to watch it. But um, oh. I, I definitely um, would recommend seeing it as quickly as possible before stuff gets spoiled for you. Because I think that I think that stuff will. And it's just um, it's like a lyric. It's it's really something special. I mean, it's really simple and really profound. And I really I think it's um, I think it's one of the best films of the year. Um, but lastly, I pulled an Eric this week and watched a movie so that I liked so much. I turned around and watched it again four days later. No I way. Never, I never do that. Yeah, I did that. Shit. I watched Cyrano from 2021. Did you guys see Cyrano with Peter Dinklage? Did you have uh, any fucking idea that this movie was a musical? No. I had no clue that this was a musical. So I sat down and watched Cyrano and I'm like, started the movie and it, it starts. I'm like, what the fuck? It's a musical? And I'm like, oh man, I don't know. And then like, like going on, I'm like, oh god, this is like a mm, this is like a white Hamilton thing they're doing here. Okay. I think they're battle rapping now. This is not oh, good. Shit. And I'm like, and I, I turned it off. And I'm like, ah, well, maybe I'll give it another shot. And so I started it back up. And as I and then and then I just fell in love with it, and I fell completely in love with it. The National, the band, the National did all the music. The whole it's a musical. Wow. Right? Starring Peter Dinklage, 
with music by the national. And cool. uh, as the, I mean, like I went, when I went back and watched it the second time, I was like, yep, that beginning is still a little weak. That first 10, 20 minutes is kind of weak. Um, but I've listened to this. I listened to the soundtrack all week. I've been obsessed with it. I can't stop thinking about it. I, it is, it is unabashedly earnest, unabashedly romantic, dramatic. Um, it is, I haven't been this emotionally affected by a movie wow. in a few years, actually. I really wish I'd seen it last Damn. year. I could have given it its proper due at the proper time. It was a tremendous bomb. I mean, it made back, I think, a tenth of its budget or something crazy like that. It was a huge bomb. It's written and directed, or it's written by uh, Dinklage's wife. This is very much a, a labor of love, but man, I just, I loved it. And I, and I, this is a, this is Joe Wright. I hate all of his movies, so I think that's why I stayed away. All of his movies suck. I don't. I don't. I don't agree that all of his movies suck, but I've always found his stuff to be overblown and just overwrought and just over, over. You know, like I hated. I hate mm -hmm. Joe Black. I thought Atonement mm -hmm. was pretty good, um, but it still was a lot. And this is a lot. There's like there's moments of this where it's like I am laughing, and I don't think I'm supposed to be laughing. Um, but all the same, like it's just. I can't like the, the moments that hit hit so hard. And Ben Mendelssohn is in this mic and he like he plays like ah. the, the popish like 17th century, like done up in white like pancake makeup and all that stuff. And he doesn't quite sing, but he does kind of growl, scream, bark through one song that's really good, actually. <laughs> I love Cyrano. Check out Cyrano. I wish I'd watched it sooner. I think it's just Okay, there could be a lot of reasons why it bombed, but it's a story that's been told many times. It is an old tale, right? We've, you know, we had the Roxanne from Steve Martin in the '80s. It seems like it gets done every ten years or so. So I understand that, but I'm definitely more intrigued by what you're saying. And yeah. that's true of so many other sure. stories, right? I mean, you could say that about Frankenstein or Pinocchio, which we just talked yeah. about. And, <laughs> and 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 like Guillermo del Toro's take on Pinocchio, this is a different take. I mean, this is, I mean, it's in one in some ways, it's very true to the original uh our friend deary chiming in with uh appreciation for banshees i'm in a sharon good band um but it is it is it is pretty true cyrano to the um original but it's still very much i mean the fucking national it's very updated so i i loved it i don't think it's gonna be for everyone but i love it he was i love away. it blown away you'll be blown away jeff bridges tommy oh. lee jones yeah. so i watched a lot of good movies this week I, I, yeah, yeah he did yeah. and looks like you were uh you're ready to go you, i think i know some of your favorites of 2022 one of the best movies of the year of, of, well done of that was a beautiful beautiful session of sharing thank you travis thank you okay mr brandstrom oh uh yeah um yeah, real quick. Last night I turned on Pinocchio at like ten. Uh, I, I was kind of like just mildly curious because I was so burnt by Zemeckis's wretched, acerbic trash incarnation that I had absolutely no desire to ever see another uh, adaptation of this ever again. But I hit play because it's Guillermo, and I heard I heard that like the stop motion was superb. I guess yeah. they spent like they like a thousand days was like the big quote. Took them a thousand days to make this. So I turned it on and like immediately enraptured. This is like classic Guillermo Pan's Labyrinth fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Like a director and writer just so fully precisely in charge of the story and above all that I was I was fucking blown away. I was dead tired. I was hacking my lungs out sick again, by the way. Oh my yeah, God. I hear it. Yeah, it's poor bastard. <laughs> it's awful. But I could not keep my eyes off of it. Like 
all the character design is so awesome, man. Yeah. And and, and just the, the ways they go with the story with all the, the, the Mussolini stuff, I did not expect at all, like these brave, dark turns uh, that were just yeah. um, out of left field and just dark. such such the right way to go for this. Um, loved it, man. God, it was so good. Uh, <laughs> Stars Born. Loved it in theaters. Yeah. They play that song. <laughs> they do. But, uh, I, I, I still love the film. I think this is a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. It's really good. <laughs> Christmas Carol, 1984. I saw George C. Scott's face, and I'm like, let's get this going right now. Um <laughs> I always thought this was like I remember always this like this being like the definitive like aside from like the Alistar, same whatever the hell the guy's name is like the definitive version like the serious definitive take on Dickens' novel. It's a DiBiase standard back in my youth. Absolutely, every year DiBiase demanded we watch it. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> he did. He loved George C. Scott. It's weird. Who doesn't? That's why I hit play because he's so good and he's so he's so good. In the role, and I'm sitting there watching it. I think I said out loud, George C. Scott's one of my favorite actors. Um, the movie, like, I don't know if it was made for TV back I in 1984, it but it feels really cheap. Yeah. Like, remember Scrooge, like when they're putting on that, that, that movie? <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yes. Yeah. Feels I like think they took a note from that. Like stage C6 or something. Like Look at America's favorite old fart. Sitting <laughs> in the fireplace. <laughs> oh, butthead. Oh, here we go again. Uh, but yeah, enjoyable, mostly because of that superb performance by the legendary Titan. Um, yeah, more Columbo. Of course, Ooh. Dateline episodes. That wraps it up for me. So, timing's sake, we can move on to Michael. <laughs> yeah, Rod Rifkin popped in, huh? He sure as hell did. Old Ronnie nice Rifkin. beard. He looked. Yeah. He looked like uh, he was a very happening dude back in that period of time. Whenever that episode existed. Good for you, Ron. Writing insult he gave Seth in Boiler Room. Uh, 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 inexcusable uh, shit you, or something you, like that. Lied again, you unbelievable piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, un- that's the, you lied again, you unbelievable piece of shit. I'll tell you this right now. No piece, no piece of shit is unbelievable to me. I can believe any piece of shit. I really could. Yeah, yeah. What's there not uh, to believe? From father okay. to son, that's pretty harsh. You, and yeah. it's, it's also that Rifkin like flat line delivery. Just he's, he means it. He really means it. You're like actual yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, he does that little thing with his head, like like a little bob. It's weird. It's like not very obvious. I know what you mean. Yeah, I I can see it. You ever see the myth of fingerprints? He was great in that. No. Yeah, Yeah, he's a good one. Underrated Rifkin. Do what? Are those fingerprints? They look real. Paul Simon reference. Paul uh, Simon. No. Myth of fingerprints. Is that a myth? What is it? All around the world, the myth of fingerprints. It's a song, but anyway, but it's also a movie. Anyways, Paul Simon's like almost eighty. He's gonna die eventually. Well, everyone's gonna die eventually, Mike. We've been through your, you know, thanophobia. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's not getting any easier out there, folks. But all right, you know, if, when you guys die, I'm gonna be very sad. It's gonna be a sad day oh, for me. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. I like that you assume that we'll die before you, but okay. No, I actually said it knowing that I know I'll die yeah. first. I'm very confident it'll be me. So hmm. five star that. review on Apple. Hey guys, <laughs> you want to talk die, <laughs> Click that like button and subscribe. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, he says in Dogma. You know, so like Jesus told the. Th- the uh, 14th apostle, 13th apostle, the Chris Rock plays. When his number was going to be up, took all the flavor out of the last remaining years. It really was. I definitely would rather not know. I just want to die. Boom. 
There you go, folks. Hey, Superman podcast. I just want to die. Look, watch movies. I've got a big reveal here, folks. This is a big one. This is one of the bigger movies that needs to be discussed. And I finally saw it. I've never saw this film. But with all the hubbub brewing about Avatar 2, Way of Water, I finally sat down and watched Avatar for the first time in my life. (laughs) I was one of the last few, apparently. I mean, it's... It was a huge movie, right? It made it was it topped Titanic as the most biggest grossing movie ever at that point in time. Still is, I think. Uh, uh, Endgame, I think, snuck past it, but it was yeah, it they, made a shitload they, of money. They re-released it back in theaters in advance of Avatar two, and I think it snuck back in, but I'm not positive. I also yeah read that they released it in China again a few years ago, and yeah. some people went and saw it. So either way, I never saw Avatar, and I I wish I had seen it when it came out. That's my big regret. That's what stands. Yeah, that's that's what stands out to me most. I wish I'd seen Avatar sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my final, his final, and his final words were: "Love her as I love Avatar." (laughs) Very good. That's good. You caught that one, Jimmy Brooks. (sighs) I just wish I'd seen it when it came out. I wish it's yeah, James Cameron. I wish I'd seen it when it came out because. It still looks it looks good. It's I mean it looks like a video game. That kind of bothered me, but I'm like this is a video game. I feel like I'm watching a video game now cuz video games look this good. And when it came out in 09, I could see how it would have really blown people's minds, but it doesn't look terrible at all. It still looks good, but it's it's a green screen world, you know? It's a CGI world they created. So you never, I never felt like I saw any holes or like, oh, that's obvious. Like, it just looks like a video game because that's what a video game is. It's already plastered on your screen as a world and you accept that and there are no cutting and pasting. It's just, it's already generated in that way. So my point being is that, you know, what's the deal with this guy? You know, Sam Worthington, <laughs> Sam Worthington, is he good? Yeah. Is he okay? Is he bad? I, I don't understand this guy. <laughs> He's like the yeah. Donald Gleason of the 2000s. Like they gave him a shot, <laughs> they gave him a bunch of properties, and people were like, eh, "Who cares?" <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Because the same year he was in the Terminator thing with the Christian Bale, Terminal Salvation, Avatar. Oh, people yeah. are like, "Who's this now?" Yeah, but he's in the sequel, right? He in the new one yeah. that's out. He's yeah, he's, yeah. I guess. Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. You haven't seen I, the original. Yeah, I, I I keep on like, am I gonna watch the new one? Probably. Am I gonna see it in theaters? God damn it! Probably, yeah, right. Should though. probably see it the theater. I probably should. Uh, yeah, I'm not in any rush. I mean, my expectation is that it's gonna, and we'll see how well this uh, statement ages. But my expectation is that it's gonna be a dazzling feast for the eyes and just utterly dull, like derivative story. <laughs> is that how you felt about the first one? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, duh. <laughs> exactly what I felt about the first one. <laughs> Look. I know that Luke, shout out to our friend Luke. Happy holidays, Luke. Hope you're doing well. Luke's having a baby soon. That'll be fun. Uh, Eric, you can give Luke some tips on that. So uh, lay out the playbook for him. But Luke loves the old class warfare discussion, right? And this movie is, you know, it's rife with colonialism and the bad guys coming in to take the land from the indigenous people and the resources and so on and so forth. And I like that kind of stuff. I want to get involved in that type of story, but... It wasn't it wasn't wholly derivative in my opinion. It was fairly derivative, Travis. I'll I'll say that, but 
I thought it was, well, no, maybe it wasn't. You're right. It, it, it's a guy who's wrestling with the same old story. He's like, oh, I want to, you know, lead the cause for my country. But now these people over here are actually really good people once I get to know them. Oh, my God, what a shocker. And now I'm caught in the middle. What will I do? The only really difference that makes this less derivative, I suppose, is the fact that he <laughs> has a possibly unoriginal story here. A guy who's paralyzed gets to go into an avatar where he can be free. So he's torn between that world as well. And then there's going to be a sequel where his avatar, I mean, apparently avatars can produce semen because he's procreating. <laughs> he's procreating. Uh, well, well, hey, whatever. After your Kinsey comment last week, I can say whatever the fuck I That's want. The podcast. I don't want any fucking clearing of the throats from you, my friend. I stamp uh, it. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Let's clarify, though. I don't care about that. I He... He has he children. Leaves, he has no, but children. he leaves. Like he leaves the avatar. He becomes. He's no longer the avatars at the end of the first one. Spoiler well, alert. At the end, at the get. I mean, in the new one, he's nothing but the avatar. Right, but he gets bonded to it. And like, I don't know how they do it. Remember that tree? The tree of souls like allows people to, at toi or the being who's the deity. He. She makes things happen. Anyways, it's a lot fresher for you. I don't, I don't know. It is. It is very fresh for me. I. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was, it really caught my attention. So I have to say it wasn't, I can't say it was bad. I just, the hubbub, I, the hubbub makes me wonder, hey, was it just because of it was of the moment? That's what I wonder. And I'll never be able to reimagine that. I mean, Eric, you saw it when it came out, didn't you? How did you feel about the rare element that everyone was trying to get be an <laughs> unobtainium? <Yes>! Unobtainium. <laughs> Writing. Unobtainium. Writing for you. Well, that's a <laughs> that's a joke, right? I learned. I actually dove into this afterwards. I'm like, okay, that's such a dumb name, right? Yeah. But yeah. it turns out there was unobtainium was some type of thing that was used in engineering and science circles as well as like something that would never exist. I can't remember exactly what the story was. So he actually oh. borrowed it from the real world as as a MacGuffin. Like most people thought of unobtainium as a as a MacGuffin in the real world. Like it's like, like an economic term, like a widget or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just stupid. So he didn't even come up with it. It's not even it's not even original, just for the record. So <laughs> Well, yeah. You would have had a hard time convincing me there was a lot about the movie it was original. <laughs> I would say I if you never saw Avatar, if you never saw Avatar mm -hmm. and you have a high pitched voice in the moment. Check it out. <laughs> if you Definitely saw Dancing with it. Wolves or Fern Gully, you're good. You can skip oh, it. Oh, Fern Gully. Yeah, there's definitely some Fern Gully up in there. Good call. It's fun. It's fun at times. There's a lot of action scenes. You know, Sigourney Weaver was in it. I had no idea she was going to be in it. That was a real surprise and a pleasant surprise because she was really good in that film. And it was nice to see her in a role like that. Because I, I don't get to see Sigourney as much anymore as we used to back in our younger days. So good job, a, Sigourney. I'm going to make a sports reference for you, Mike. I mean, but I feel, like, I feel like Avatar and Jim Cameron, like, coming in right now with this movie. It's like the Yankees, right? It's like it's yeah. like the, the this is like while the money's been dumped into it, the expectations that it's going to do mm -hmm. well. I hate I hate hearing, like, I hate, I mean, like, I keep on seeing these uh, articles like, James Cameron has submitted his fourth you know his script for the for avatar four and no notes from the studios and he's just like like doing this victory lap and like bragging like constantly i'm like this guy has just like he's, he's got this elon musk sized ego about this movie 
I'm just like, ah, <laughs> there's no not. notes because the studio's like, uh, we'll read it in 10 years. We have time. <laughs> yeah, let's see how this one does first, James. <laughs> I, I, and I don't like this, like this, um, this expect. Well, of course, it's James Cameron. Don't don't bet against James Cameron. Like it's gonna be a big hit. Blah blah blah. I'm like, oh man, I, I don't like the, I don't like the, like the the pre conceived notion that it's like a guaranteed hit i'm like let's let it mm. come out first and see if it's any fucking good everyone said you know I, i'm sure a lot of people thought that uh uh black adam was a guaranteed hit too <laughs> Ooh, that didn't work out huh evidently not well okay you know what that's good stuff you said it quite well and yes jimmy cameron in this world that he's created now does seem like somebody who could just do whatever the hell he wants whenever he wants and it kind of does it takes out of some of the luster for me of what I liked about filmmaking and growing up in movies. You know, sometimes you had a bare bones crew, you know, like the Kevin Smith story of the young indie makers of the 90s. And even before then, who were lesser known, they put their time and energy into it. And, it, you know, it might mean a lot to James Cameron, but it is like the Yankees. You're right. It's like the Yankees. You They win a World Series. And if you're a fan of the Yankees, you're happy about it because you're a fan. But they did it so easily because they had all these resources already that it was right. almost a failure to not win it. You know, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's a good call. It's a great. Well done. That's a fine analogy. I like to like take sports and use them as analogies about life because I, I like sports so much. I know you do. <laughs> I mean, you've always been such a fan. You're a passionate sports lover. And, yeah. you know, just like politicians, you know how to weave a story, my friend. Um, Kudos. Well like done. Basket, so. You do it. Actually, like I, I apologize for saying that. That was really cruel and uncalled for i should never compare you to any politician but <laughs> there's a lot of politicians in avatar so if you want to see politicians in avatar go ahead enjoy that either way well, it's mildly entertaining film for someone who never saw it before uh i caught up on the first few episodes of she hulk you know i got three of them done and that's interesting i, I know why people got online and bitched about it initially i could see it right off the bat it was super obvious to me but that's just hyper-focused negativity that's unnecessary. I, I like the first three episodes, and I'm ready to finish it out. So I'll finish right. that this weekend. And me and Travis are going to... That's why I want to finish this one up, because it's one of the... I have to watch that in the Christmas special and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So Dude. i got to finish those up, and then we can do Phase 4 show. So you did Werewolf by Night as well, then? Oh, do I have to watch that one? It's part of Phase I thought 4. It was, Oh, I didn't. I thought it was just like a one-off. Like, hey, here's a tribute to the old werewolf tales of yesteryear. Oh, so you haven't watched like the the Groot shorts or anything then? I mean, I've, everything that came out in the past few years is Phase Four. So, I mean, I've watched it. Okay. All. Once you. Well, no, I haven't watched the Groot shorts either. I saw them on the screen last night. Those were news minutes, to me. Twenty minutes of your life, literally. Oh, okay. All, well, I, twenty minutes. So. I'll do it. I'll watch it. I think right. Groot's a little overrated. I, I do. I like him in his dose, but when Groot becomes the center of attention, I become a little less interested. But we'll see. I'm with you. Actually. Either way. Yeah. Oh yeah! <laughs> well, look, guys. Me and Travis have talked about doing. We want to do like you know, Eric loathes Marvel for the most part, and we wanted to do a our review. Me and Travis of Phase Four, and we're gonna do that real soon. I just got to finish up the Phase Four stuff, so hopefully I could do that right after the New Year, Travis. We could rock a separate show where you and I talk about. Where we are with Marvel after Phase 4 and almost, good God, 15 years of movies and TV shows and so much universe building that's never been done before. You've actually given me time to revisit the uh, the TV shows. I watched, I rewatched WandaVision. I rewatched Falcon the Winter Soldier. I rewatched Loki. I rewatched Hawkeye. <sighs> I'm rewatching Moon Knight right now. I would like to do that. I, I blew by the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I remember liking it. I, that's a good call. Maybe I'll, yeah, we got the break coming up here. I'm off school for two weeks. It'll be a lot of free time. Great chance to watch a lot of good stuff. 
on our TV screens. Get sick. That's, that, that's what I did. I got sick. And just of course. Fucking MCU. Well, I'm not going to watch stuff unless I'm sick. That's how we do it here in 2022. Yeah. That's the way. Uh, okay, that's pretty much it. I think I'll leave it there. There's a lot of fun stuff that I watched, but, you know, it doesn't matter. In the end, you watch stuff, you enjoy it, you hate it, and you die. Uh, that's again with life. The best. Damn it. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? Uh I just want to double check that I didn't skip anything I want to mention. Oh, I did watch. Uh, I got Leanne to watch I Heart Huckabees with me for the first time. She's never saw that. <laughs> I'm not and, myself. Yeah, because I say that so much. She's like, what is the what's the How Am I Not Myself movie? I want to watch it. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's see if you're ready for this. I, I don't know if she loved it. I don't know if she hated it, but, you know, she was mildly entertained. So I was. God, that's bizarre. It seems like either one of those, oh, God, please make it stop. Or, oh, I love what's going on right now. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of a hard to have a middle of a road opinion on that movie. Uh, well, okay. I actually need to get an update in her final synopsis because when we finished, she said, "Yeah, it was interesting," but maybe she was lying. Thought about me. it since she saw it. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> I, that's probably doubtful. Yeah, although maybe she has. I do think it's a great movie, and I'm glad I got to share with her. It's fun to share movies with people that you uh, spend time with that never saw that movie before. It's a unique experience. That's wow. why we. Nobody hit show. play on Amsterdam either. It's been on HBO Max for a couple weeks now. Oh, that was the choice I made last night, actually. It was either Avatar or Amsterdam. And I'm yeah. like, well, Leanne might want to watch Amsterdam with me because there's only certain movies she can watch. She loves scary films, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I decided to watch Avatar instead. But Amsterdam's mm -hmm. number one on the list, ready to go. I have access to it, and I will watch it this yeah. weekend. Can't wait. Mm. All right. There it is. Let's dive into our main focus of the show. It's time to get into Does It Hold Up? Episode 139 of the Cinema Night Podcast with Travis Roy, Eric Branch, and Michael Govier, cinemanipod at gmail.com. 2008's In Brew, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, of course. Mm -hmm. and this is Eric's selection. It's mm -hmm. a Martin McDonough film, and it's a, apparently it's a Christmas movie. Mr. Blakely? Yes. No, Mr. Cranham. No, yes, Mr. Blakely? Yes. You have a message. Shit. Number one, why aren't you in when I fucking told you to be in? Number two, why doesn't this hotel have phones with fucking voicemail and not I have to leave messages with a fucking receptionist? Number three, you better fucking be in tomorrow night when I fucking call again or there'll be fucking hell to pay. I'm fucking telling you, Harry. Did you know that? Is that why you chose it for this time? Or? I knew it took place during Christmas. Uh, okay. but, but yeah, it's not why I chose it. Well, I remember I'm going to talk going around, circling around, and apparently I'm happy to report for good reason, according to Travis, who I have complete faith in. Um, but yeah, um, I thought it'd be a good choice. Uh, it's not too Christmassy, so we're not getting like a classic that we're all just going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, isn't it awesome? So I don't know. <laughs> but, do you remember the first time you saw it in Bruges? Yeah, this is in what I call the money train category of Christmas movies. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I remember. I mean, I just remember it coming out. I didn't see it in video on, in theaters, but I remember like there being buzz about it. And I remember um, this is definitely one that kind of got me thinking differently about Colin Farrell. I had pretty much dismissed him before this movie. Uh, I didn't hate him, but I thought he was kind of a pretty face, you know, that didn't really do deep work. Uh, well, what did he do? You're looking around like I'm speaking idiot, <laughs> like like an idiot here. What? Tell me what he did before this that got your attention, Eric. Tigerland. Oh, that one I never saw. Tiger uppercut. 
Tiger knee. Knee. So, oh. having not seen that, I was unimpressed by like the true, uh, you know, the Total Recall remake, for instance. Ah! <laughs> I saw that in the theater, man. And I was oh, pissed. Nice. So, um, but yeah, so I remember seeing it, remember liking it, but I had not watched it since. Yeah, I remember the hubbub about this film. I didn't see it when it came out. I don't have the exact recall of the first time I saw it, but I definitely watched it on DVD one evening somewhere, likely in the United States of America, I would assume. Mm, maybe Canada. And yeah, oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe I was in Canada. I don't know. But it was probably it was around like 2010-ish, and I really enjoyed it. That was my recall. Like, oh, yeah, that movie was funny and uh, sardonic and a lot of interesting things going on there. So that was my recall of it. And Eric, I assume your first viewing was, uh, wow, impressive. Yeah, it was, but I dodged it for a long time. I mean, it's 2008. <laughs> like, I remember, like, again, like, what is it? Lucky number Slevin. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's kind of <laughs> old. The funny <laughs> hitman again? Because <laughs> I didn't know Martin McDonough. Um, it's That's a good point. Feature, so I was like, come on with these. I, I've, like, I've seen all these again. You can do this again. All right, whatever. Yeah, but when I saw it, I loved it. And this was only maybe five years ago. Oh, oh. Yeah. wow. Yeah, I, that's, I'm glad you brought that up again because, yes, this was after those films. And if you saw it when it came out, it may have looked like a tired setup. It, I do recall loving it so much that I really got into Martin McDonough and I was a big fan of Seven Psychopaths, which was the follow-up after that in 2012. So it definitely, this movie obviously hit me hard enough where I became, ooh, I like the director and I like the style of storytelling. So it it definitely had more of an impact than your, I don't know, your typical Tuesday night affair. <laughs> Having said that, what is the score on IMDb, folks? What is it? We always like to guess the score on IMDb. It's a 1 out of 10 rating system for the movie in Bruges. Gentlemen? This is a, a beloved cult film. I'm going to say 7-3. Oh, beloved uh, cult. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go higher. I think uh, people just cannot deny what we have here. I, I'm actually going to go 7-8. Wow, 7-8. That's hot. It's yeah. hot, Eric. Mm. I'm going to say 7-3. Mm. Oh! Seven nine. Wow. Seven nine. That's very high. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's great territory. Wow. Holy shit. Okay. okay. Maybe uh I was gonna say there could be people in Europe who adore this film. For and maybe that's just a local regional thing too, because it's not as it's not as popular in the United States as possible. And I can't know that because I live in the United States, so I don't know how popular movies get in other parts of the world when they have to do with other parts of the world. I, I find that whole world fascinating, but also challenging because I can't really know. This is definitely one that, like, since it came out, the buzz never went away. I, I don't hear people people constantly talk about it, but when it comes up, it's usually in reverential tones. Be interested to see when this to look at when this came out because 2008 was pretty big, man. Iron Man, Dark Knight. I don't see people like Americans in like um, Minnesota walking to the theater being like, "Hmm, in in in, in Bruges, let's let's do that." <laughs> do that. Uh, uh, 21 starring Kevin Spacey came out that year. Maybe people were like, "Oh, I got to see that." I, never, I still never saw that, so not everyone. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, you could have really bummed yourself out and seen the boy in the striped pajamas that year as well. Okay. Hear bad things. Didn't catch that one yeah. either. Yeah. Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, In Bruges gets 84 from the critics, 84, 
And then an 87 from the audience, but a very tight agreement between both factions, if you will. And from the critical review, people wrote about this movie in 2008 slash 9, and they had things to say about it, and we always share those with you here on the Cinema Night Podcast, such as, hopefully Dustin Thompson will pop in on this one, but I bring you Deborah Ross from The Spectator. Deborah Ross said, on August 23rd, 20... Oh, this was after the fact. She reviewed it a few years ago. In Bruges has some cracking lines in it, a cracking performance from Brendan Gleeson as Ken, and some very funny, provocative jokes, but I still don't know, dot, dot, dot. It's just all the violence that did me in. <laughs> yeah, is there a risk here? Is there danger with this film? It's a violent-ass movie, but it's also, like we said, it's partially a Christmas tale. And as <laughs> Harry so eloquently states, it's a fairy land. It's a fairy tale land, a fairy tale place. <laughs> so it's risky if you just go into this thinking, oh, I like these actors, and it looks like a beautiful time of year. Well, there's guns on the cover box. I mean. <laughs> oh, is there? These uh, critics they get paid to write these reviews, and then they complain about violence knowing that they're about to see a comedy about hitman it's like what is this yeah it's a, it's a dark comedy you definitely think there's gonna be um i think it i think it's one scene in particular probably that, that people struggle with the most it's hard to see uh you know the image of a child um shot in the head obviously a bullet hole in the head yeah it's pretty it's graphic pretty graphic scene so i think that and then and also the death scene of uh of ken just like oh. Tarantino esque, like sport, like bucket of blood mm. splashing about, um, you know. Yeah, Kieran Hines plays the priest too. He gets murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kieran Hines just pops in there real quick. Oh crap, Kieran! I'm sorry, Kieran. See, I made a mistake. It's like Sorcerer Ronan. I blew Official? it. It's Kieran. Yeah, it's Kieran. Okay, all right. My bad. I apologize, Mr. Hines. Uh, other commentaries. How about Bob Mondello? <laughs> Bob Mondello. <laughs> What a name. He's got a giant head, too. It's kind of fitting in a way. I don't know why, but it is. Bob Mondello said it plays really engagingly with the leads doing a wonderful Mutt and Jeff act mm -mm. and the camera lingering lovingly over scenery that looks awfully pretty in the moments before it gets spattered with blood. Martin who? Uh, is that a... Uh, Dumb and Dumber reference, Jeff and the Mutt Cuts, I assume, maybe, because it's Mutt. It's capitalized Mutt, so I assume maybe that's what that means. No, no, no. Mutt and Jeff is an old comic strip from the 1930s or something like that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well. Word hey. for it. Mutt and Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did not, you know, I did not know that. I did not know that. Uh, let's see, no goody coons and not seeing Dustin Thompson. Uh, how about Roger Moore? Uh, not that Roger Moore, but his name's <laughs> Roger Moore from the Orlando Sentinel said, this dark comedy shifts effortlessly between silly and sobering, and it finally gives Colin Farrell the chance to be as funny as we've long suspected he could be. This kind of goes to your point you said earlier about Colin Farrell, Travis. Um, yeah, I'm, that, I'm, that's not an original statement. I mean, Eric's right that Tigerland is what really got him burst onto the scene, and that's when they and they threw all these features at him, kind of like Sam Worthington, where they're like, okay, this <laughs> is the guy. Let's let's throw movies at him and give him, let's see yeah. what we can make a big movie mm -hmm. star out of him. Uh, and and then it turned out that he he's not a big movie star guy. He's more of a um, he's more of a Gary Oldman kind of guy. He's more of a you know, despite his like dashing good looks. 
he's much more of a character actor and much more of a uh, like a, a studied actor than he is like let me lead your blockbuster summer film kind yeah of dude that's that's it i was so i don't know if relieve the right word is the right word but just um comforted when he started settling in into those yeah um like true detective season two gets so much shit but i it's think so Colin Farrell's fucking superb in that um you know bullseye daredevil that's another story <laughs> but yeah he's got a lot of good he's fucking fantastic his comedic timing is right up there with like stan laurel in this like i'm watching this i'm like this is like if laurel and hardy were hitmen in europe <laughs> That's a good call. Yeah, Travis, you really stated that uh, very, very well done, my friend. Well done. I, I would like to move on from the reviews, but we got a Bill Goody Coons sighting on this Goody one. Coons. So I couldn't let uh, good old Goody Coons no. old Bill. Uh, be skipped over. <laughs> oh, Bill. Uh, I did look through them all, by the way, and it looks like Destin was busy uh, at that mm. time, as we often find. Destin Thompson, as we always state, you have an open invite to this show anytime you say And we choose. love you. And we do love you. Yes, we do. Of course we do. We uh, Bill, yeah, we worship you. Bill Goody Coons <laughs> had this to say on February 15th of 2008. The dialogue is front and center. In spite of the picturesque setting and all the goings on. And it's the best thing about the film. The dialogue is the best thing about the film. Yeah, man. I'm watching this and I'm like, I know that Martin McDonough is an established Irish playwright. playwright but... It doesn't have like that Sorkin, uh, LeBute, Mammoth, Pentameter yeah. going. It, right. it translates really well to film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, yeah. Like the interplay. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it doesn't come across like um, stage dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Like a uh, Kevin Smith movie from the 90s? That's that's where I thought he was going with it. But no, he was making the, yeah, that, that's a better <laughs> point. That, is, that it doesn't come across like script, like a, like that. But, yeah, I think that the dialogue in this film is believable. You have pretty rich and believable characters. It's 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 a grind at times to like deal with the offensive nature of the shit just like pouring out of Colin Farrell's mouth. Um, but like he's supposed to be a you know a character that's unredeemable, and it, 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 it's that's how he's presented to us. And then of course, right about the time you start to think, well, maybe he's not so bad. That's when you learn what he's doing in Bruges. Uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the the interplay between the two of them is what drives the first half of the film until we really learn the stakes. That's a great call. Well said. Yeah, the dialogue is outstanding. I got no beast with it. A lot of pacing and patience, too. A lot of beats, especially when Harry and Ken are talking on the phone for the first <laughs> time in the hotel room. Yeah, it, it's so deliberately slow in that part of the film, but it's done well. It's, Harry's a very meticulous, annoying guy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's and it's not just that. Like, I really love that scene watching it this time because it's not just that Harry's meticulous and like demanding. It's the it's the hoops that um, that Ken will jump through to please him. Ah, you know what I mean? Like, he's so yeah. accommodating. Like, I he he will go through all. He'll pantomime all this bullshit to just satisfy this guy. So when he t tells him later, like, "Well, fuck you and uh, your kids are cunts. Come kill me if you want to." <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's such a reversal from the uh, obsequious nature that we had seen with Ken towards Harry before that. Well done. Yes, that is really well said. You're right. It's, it is a matter of Ken being the most polite 
murderer hitman that there ever was. He's British, culture. British to the T. Yes, Irish, super. Oh, he loves his culture for sure. Yeah, very cultural. Oh, he is Irish. In the I didn't know if he played. I didn't know if his character was just English or yeah, their uh, characters, whatever in their the movie. Characters are Irish hitmen who live in London because um, Martin McDonough oh. is, a, is an Irishman who grew up in London. So I guess that's kind of where he was coming from mm. on that gosh and he came well, up with the idea of, sense. of this film when he actually visited Bruges. He, he stayed in Bruges. he stayed in the actual hotel that the that they stayed in really? and uh came up with because and he had like these conflicting thoughts in his head like this place is beautiful this place is boring uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and he kind of like kind of went from been there. there yeah <laughs> yeah i've been there and by the way travis you deserve full credit and this just reminded me of it because i was we're moved on from the reviews but i just saw roger ebert eves uh, commented on this film and you did a killer cinema nine bingo it was so funny man i loved it it was really well done all the beats of our show that we repeat the paul schraders and uh you know uh kill your own kind all the stuff that we've been building in our little world here over the last three plus years you nailed it it's really funny he posted on facebook so check it out if you want to play cinema nine bingo over the holidays with some friends or family <laughs> Put us on and have a good time with it. I think it's fun. I thought it was really well done. Uh, Roger, you know, Eves did say this, though, real quick. I want to give Eves his tribute because he's dead. This film debut by the theater writer and director Martin McDonough is an endlessly surprising, very dark human comedy with a plot that cannot be foreseen, but only relished. Booyah. There you go. Booyah. So, yeah. So a booyah to you all. So I want to talk about the, the what I alluded to a few minutes ago about the combinations of different, not narratives, but there's just a lot of elements of multiple different types of storytelling in this film. It's about a guy who made a huge mistake his first time on the job. You know, he hadn't killed anybody. He was a rookie hitman brought in by Ken, which is what we learn along the way about Colin Farrell's character. And unfortunately, when he does his first hit, he kills a child, and it's it's horrendous. But at the same time, like you said, it's a beautiful little city in Belgium that most people don't know about. It. It's a hidden gem, and then there's hidden gems of people within that. You know, they got a movie being made within a movie as well. We got a lot of different elements here, and I just want to ask you the one of you: Does it all does it all work for you in terms of the several elements all coming into this one film? You're asking me. Or both of us. Anybody. I don't care. <laughs> uh, You're yeah. right. I did not make yeah, it clear. Um, I can see people's. I can see people criticizing it for these deep emotional themes blending with like racist humor and like really dumb infantile jokes. Um, and yeah, not that they're wrong, but I, I think it blends them well i mean it's a modern take on on this whole like morality flannery o'connor type of stuff that we'd already seen so to kind of liven it up with some more playful antics i think is the right note and i think that uh, uh it it's also driven not just by the dialogue but by some memorable fun characters you have yuri the uh the 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 alcove loving arms dealer you have the the, the one-eyed uh ex-boyfriend or uh, the guy who becomes one-eyed you have like all these kind of different you know you have uh i i, I love i love um what's his name um uh ivanek i can't think of it the, the, the guy that plays the canadian that gets, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Zel, zelico <laughs> ivanek the guy that plays the, the angered canadian like he's, he's mm -hmm. i love him 
Um, I loved him on Heroes. Remember that show? Anyways, but um, yeah, there's, a lot, there's a lot of like little, just all these people popping in and these memorable little moments that I think are nice. I mean, like the um, the co-owner, she, uh, the pregnant co-owner, she's so, it's like she's so strong and uh, vulnerable at the same time for this care and funny and this character that really only and, and important for characters that really only in like four scenes. <laughs> That's true. And yes. uh, Zelko is a favorite of Mark McDonough. He's been in a bunch of his movies since as well. So well, they have a bond. You guys so, saw the uh, Six Shooter, the Mark McDonough's Oscar winning short film. No, I never Check saw it. Check it out on YouTube, man. It's fucking, I can't remember how long it is, but it's just, it's just so like um, well put together, concise, whatever you want to call it. Like, uh, and, and it's classic Martin McDonough, like, um, uh, playful irony and like insane situation that's played uh, very straightforward. Check it out, man. Because yeah, after that Oscar win, they just dump money on him to, to make this, and I'm so glad he was. Well Have you seen prepared. a picture of him, by the way? He's Martin really, McDonough? really good looking with terrible teeth. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's got a. Damn. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. I I was just surprised about how he's got a sharp face. I don't know. It's like he's very. He has yeah. edges around his face. He's a yeah. handsome guy, he but like he also looks kind of devilish. Yeah. He, he does like look like an actor. Yeah. I, I just thought maybe handsome it's man. funny the pictures you come up with in your own mind before you know what somebody in my, looks like. In my mind, he was a very squidgy, like, like I don't know. I just had him, like, I had, like, this kind of, like, I don't know, George R.R. R. Martin looking guy in my head. Yeah, like nerdy. A, nerdy. Yeah, like, <laughs> like fat and hairy. I, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's so hairy. I don't know why I th thought that, but that's just the person I, I had in my mind. And I saw him, and he looks like uh, I don't know. Looks, he looks like Sting. He kind of looks like a a European young, Stifler in the picture or, I saw. Is weird. It's like a mm. young parent stamp, actually, is what he looks Ooh. like. Oh wow. Okay, that's cool. Well, no, I've never seen Six Shooter. I, you know what? I, I realize I really do. I love Mark McDonough films, so I I definitely have to watch the Banshees movie. Travis, I'm glad you brought it up on the show. I'm due. I'm due to watch the Banshees of Inertion. Yeah, you finally in, learned in that a, word. Yeah, I learned it for well, once I watched the movie and they said it a few times. It's Inisharan. Ooh, okay. Well, right. Inisharan, thank you for clarifying and helping me grow as a person. You're uh, welcome. All right, so the play. performance is a. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Mr. Fines, dude. Mr. Fines is such a damn good actor, and he's becoming one of my all-time favorites now. The more I start to think about it, I love the Grand Budapest Hotel, and it's really oh. solely because of Ray Fines. Oh, yeah, and then in this incredible. film, God. it would have been a travesty. It would have been an absolute Travis Shamockery if we never got to have him on film in this movie like i freaked out the first time i saw it i'm like oh are we not gonna get ray fines actually in the movie is he just gonna be on the phone because that would really suck and <laughs> fortunately we don't get that he does come to bruges we have the big showdown in the end but god damn it he is so electric so entertaining he, he commands me with every movement every word every pause he's so good he's incredibly funny in this but um, yes and and bombastic and electric but to me, what really stands out is the character writing, honestly. It's um, because this movie, in a lot of ways, is it, well, for one, it's an inversion, or rather, Banshees of Inisherin is an inversion of this movie in some ways. But mm. uh, it's also an inversion of like a typical kind of Hitman movie, because in a typical movie, 
his character Harry is the protagonist. He's the one that's going to go kill the child killer. He's gonna he's got he's gonna stick to his principles. He's a family man. He's like in a, in a lot of ways he's what should be the good guy, but he's and but he's the bad guy. But he's not also not that bad of a guy because like as as awful as he is, like he he won't harm. He doesn't want to harm people who d- didn't do anything. He doesn't want to harm like the pregnant woman he doesn't mm-hmm. want to just start a shootout in the middle and kill a bunch of belgians although he does end up doing that which i'm like as i'm watching the movie I'm like harry how do you think you're going to get out of this you're just running around town shooting at people now um but, <laughs> it's about uh, honor it's he's obsessed yeah. with honor apparently yeah he he has um an integrity to him that whether you agree with it or not like well it's kind of hard not to agree with like his his principles um in, in a way even though he's the um he's the antagonist so i, I think it's a really complex character that uh makes a big impact in large part because of his, of his performance of course but great writing be easy to be like oh he watched sexy beast that morning and then went to the set and was like i'm just gonna do that uh but no it's different cool. and as funny as he is in this my god damn it you're right like grand budapest is one of my all-time favorite movies and he He's hilarious in that, and yet I didn't think about it one time while watching this. No. And it's yep. two comedic performances. That's a master. Well said. That's a well master said, at dude. work. Uh, but yeah, the um, the you know Harry's about principles and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there's so much <laughs> there's so much menace. There's some there's like a little bit of slime, but there's all this class too. And like these mm. three actors, these Brendan Gleeson. Colin Farrell, Ray Fiennes, for this, like, well, I guess he's been in the theater for a long time. But one thing Martin McDonough does, he knows how to fucking work with actors and get just make them seem like people you care about. And these hitman comedies, like, like you're having fun, but do you ever really care that much about the characters? Like, I want right. to be friends with Ken. I want to, like, support him at the bar and talk mm. to him. And I want to help Ray. And I, you know, I'd fill out an application for Harry. How bad can the job be? You got a paid vacation in in Bruges, but yeah, yeah. man, it's incredible. And it's also about the casting because he had written the script, and then found out that he could work with these two guys, and mm-hmm. went, "Well, shit, I, I will rework the characters and make them Irish and all this stuff to make them to make them fit those those actors." Because he knew, like, these are like these. You don't you don't try and find some actor to fit the role. You find. Uh, you know, you make the role fit the actor in this case, and I think yeah. it, it, and it worked really, really well. And obviously, it, it another key point here to keep on kind of banging on the banshees of Innes Sharon, but uh, Gleason and Farrell became really good friends making this movie, and they've stayed really good friends over the years, and and it's palpable. Um, the yeah. the chemistry between these two men in this movie, like you believe that they go from like hating being stuck with one another to in the matter of a couple of days having like a genuine love for one another. Um, which I think is a hard trick to pull off, and they did a great job with it. Yeah, Ken's love for Ray, it's not as obvious earlier in the film, but the fact that he even went with him, I guess, says a lot. It's really more about actions, and McDonough's not going to also tell you beat for beat. He's not going to lay every thought, every emotion that everyone's feeling at all times at your doorstep. You have to, you have to follow along, and... The dialogue will do the work for you in the end, and it does it in a way that I just really, really appreciate. I I guess I am reconsidering my Fine's love that I thought... I mean, he's a great part of it. Fine's mm-hmm. does so much with the character, but you're right. The dialogue that he's given, the character that he's created, he, when he rages out 
And Harry slams the telephone after Ken tells him to get fucked, which is a huge shock to Harry before mm. he comes to Bruges. He go, he busts up the phone. He goes crazy. He doesn't care who's over there in the yeah, other room with the kids. And the, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. But then there he is 10 minutes later apologizing to his wife. That kind right. of guy in other movies would not, that line would not exist. That moment wouldn't exist. He's just a yep. badass who's a raged out hardcore gangster is going to do what he's got to do. Nobody gets in the way. But no, they show the range. And they show the full spectrum of human beings. The, the People are like this. They're complex characters with lots of different emotions and perspectives and feelings throughout the day. How long were uh, like, this is Ray's first job, and like, yep. how long do you think Ken and Ray have known each other? So, yeah. in writing my notes for the movie, I I wrote made a note like, did Ken get him this job? I think maybe he did, but then like thinking about it after, I'm like, well, that, that's really not established. The only reason that Ken probably goes with them is because he was with them on the job, and he was probably with them on the job because Harry was. Like having him do it, so because so in some ways I feel like they don't know each other hardly at all. Yeah, but well, Ken says works. he brought Harry says Ken brought him in. He does say that. Oh, he says the words. Okay, never mind. Oh, on the I phone, Ken's that. like you. You got to kill. Oh, on the phone there, he's like, well, you've got to kill him, Ken, because you brought him in. And if it oh, buck doesn't okay. stop with mm. him, it stops yeah. with you. Oh, and that scene is so brutal. He's like, well, he was a good kid, wasn't he? He's like, when you're like, was. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. Yeah. Again, not. Cl- <laughs> You got to follow along, and the he McDonough believes in the audience. He may th- make fun of us at times. I'm sure he does, well, but Americans, he anyways. writes in a way. He makes fun of Americans. Yes, <laughs> yeah, chubby, out of shape Americans yeah. who are climbing up the bell tower who actually yeah. ended up having a heart attack. So in a way, he was trying to help the guy out. You know, I don't yeah. know. Americans but are elephants. Americans, that, never mind. Yeah, never mind that great. we're like the only country that has preservatives and every little fucking piece of food that we put in our bodies. But whatever, we're all elephants. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's well said, my friend. That's well said. And th- you've got negatives about the characters that are annoying to me. It's like you alluded to briefly, Travis. Ray is so annoying. You feel I felt bad for him, but I actually almost stopped feeling bad for him after a while because he's bitching about Constantly. everything all the time. And, and while he's suicidal about what he's done, there are also times where I'm like, do you have any thought of what you've just done? Because, like, you're sitting there complaining about how you're bored and how you want to get laid and you want to do drugs. And it's like, dude, you're a child killer. <laughs> well, which he, mean, he starts to express a lot more later in the yeah, movie. But, yeah, yeah, early on. Yeah, I, I can. Luckily, at this stage of my life, I can watch a movie like this and see that Ray is masking a lot of his shame and grief over the incident with this humor um by saying he's born by saying he's bored by uh bruges like you got to think about it the, the 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 child murder took place in this church and now he's stuck in a town that looks like a gigantic church now that's just a constant reminder <laughs> of what he did and basically what he's doing is He's just masking his shame with with this with this bullshit. It's just an act. It's just a, a, somebody who doesn't know what to do with their emotions. I, I think that you're right to a degree that he's like masking him his, how he's really feeling in a lot of ways. But he truly hates Bruges. He does not find any cultural relevance or importance in it. To him, Bruges is like literally purgatory, um, because for him, a good time is getting fucked up and 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 hitting on women. 
So I mean, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, like I think it can be both. He, he's not the most d- deep of dudes, but yeah, I do believe he does feel bad about it. I mean, he he does rep. I mean, he does try to kill himself, and and um, and even before that, there's like subtle, fairly subtle references. It's like it's not going to go away unless I go away. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Yes, there is a theme in this movie though about consequences for actions because you know Ken tries to get Ray out of there and go away, but then. Ray's rage, his temper, you know, falsely accusing an American, a Canadian of being an American, ends up biting him in the ass because he gets brought back on the train for beating up on Zelko, which uh, he didn't have to do, but he did. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's pure rage at times. And McDonough, through all of his clever and witty banter and the dialogue, he's trying to, he's telling like a moral tale here. This is like a, there is like, a, oh, this is the moral of the story in the end for everybody, including Harry, who, Follows through and kills himself in the end because he thought he murdered a child. But, oh, no, that was just a, yeah, it was a dwarf wearing a child's or, you know, school outfit, I guess is like how Gryffindor. the best way to describe it. Yeah, very Gryffindor-esque very Gryffindor costume that he's wearing. Yeah. And so, yes, you are going to be responsible for what you do maybe not right away but eventually every action will have an outcome you know it, it went with the other guy too when he beat up the skinhead who did attack him initially which mm-hmm. is not his fault but that also burns him because it reminds harry who lets ken off harry had let ken off mind you remember in the bell tower he's mm-hmm. not gonna oh, i can't fucking kill you now after you said that <laughs> shit which is hilarious yeah mm-hmm. very funny but <laughs> raise actions again, burn him because that dude runs up to the bell tower and tells Harry what the hell's going on. Right. Okay. Yeah. So right? speaking of the bell tower, um, how do we feel about Ken's sacrifice? I, I love the, you know, it's very powerful um, dropping the coins first and, and then throwing himself off. But like he throws himself off the gun he has on him breaks. So he's unable to give that to, um to ray and ray is so distraught that he's basically just standing there when uh harry shows up and so in a lot of ways it's this gesture that isn't necessary um does he does he like does he succeed in warning him and changing things like i don't think he does it's really graphic and it's really powerful and it's like wow that didn't need to happen at all I like that it happens that way. No, I, like I don't. No, I agree. Well, no, not that part. I mean, uh, first off, I like the blood and the because it guy throws himself off a roof. Okay, it's not going to be a clean scene. But sure. the point about giving himself up is not a good move. You're right. I think right. it's a a lame decision on his part, which probably had to do with other things from the past that maybe just built up in Ken's mind where he couldn't take it anymore. He, he felt. He actually, he says that out loud to Harry at the bell tower. He's like, I've done so many things and I'm due, you know, I accept that this is my judgment. He was ready to die at the hand of Harry with the gun to the head. So that makes sense that he would do it, but I still feel like he's unnecessarily a martyr for a cause that doesn't really exist. Did he cry yelling, Ray, look out, Harry's coming from the, from the top. I mean, I, with the, the beautiful scene of the speech between the two, when when uh, Ken suggests that the, the best way to save his own life is to save another life. I think Ken's yeah. journey is his own redemption. He alludes to his wife being killed and then having Harry kill the man that killed his wife. Um, not a completely 
unjust act, but he is responsible for so much murder that I think he knows that in this purgatory in Bruges that he's come to the crossroads and he has to he has to give something and he's already de dedicated himself to saving Ray no matter what the cost. He can't back out of it. That's his mm -hmm. his mission now. And I think that's all he knows he can do to make a huge impact. Uh, so I don't know why. Why? Well, what 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 else is he going to do? Like if he can't yell, <laughs> if he can't just start shooting to get the attention, he's got he maybe he just has to cause that big of a scene to get people moving so he sees that something's going on so he can assume that the shit's about to hit the fan. Harry's there. I I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's not clear that he would that he's dying. I mean, he's nicked in the neck, and it could be the juggler, but it could not be. I mean, if he's able to haul his body up those stairs, um, I, chances are, if it was the juggler, you wouldn't have made it to the top. Uh, and he's already shot the foot too. <laughs> right. So I, I think he actually was would have survived the gunshots. But um, it's it's interesting though, because I mean, it's it. I, it ultimately, both of these hitmen are suicidal. Uh, trying one trying to save the other. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a unconventional way of, of, of making the film because for it, cause in a, in a, in a, in a normal quote unquote movie, like he would have landed on his back and, and, um, then Ray would have had access to the gun or it would have somehow like saved Ray, but it doesn't. And that's, that's a choice. I mean, that's a hell of a choice. Well, McDonough's trying to put as many people as possible in life-altering decisions i guess every yeah. even the more minor characters like the woman who owns the hotel that rain can stay at she's very much I, first off i love the note that she makes when harry calls and she <laughs> leaves a message with her yeah. i'm not the secretary i'm the owner yeah. <laughs> like, that's funny yeah, it's a little bit that makes me laugh and then it comes back to that hotel where she's in between ray and harry for this final shootout she will not budge that I'm putting all this together now, Travis, as you expressed this to me about Ken doing what he did. I would also say, why is this hotel owner so desperate? She's got a child in her. She's pregnant. Why is she so desperate to spare this man or try to save this guy either? I don't know if that would really check. I think the hotel owner would run and be like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. What the hell am I caring about yeah, this gangster's uh, struggle? I'm inclined to agree with you, but I, I do think it makes for a really great moment where you see the growth of Ray because Ray actually does have a pretty good shot on Harry past her. Um, but if she just moves a little bit to her left, he'll shoot her in the head and kill her. So he and he and so he doesn't take the shot, which I think that Harry uh, I think that Ray before coming to Bruges or before uh, killing the boy, he would have taken the shot. Yeah, right. he, he said, I don't want to have another kid dead. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty late in the day, and I've had a lot of caffeine, and I'm sick. But uh, it, it, the Christmas story itself, if we're to look at all into why he chose this season, you've got the three wise men. You could see our central characters as being as such. They go to an inn when, uh, you know, when or even before Jesus was born. You have this woman with child who is there as kind of a protector or a savior, and Maybe we got some sort of illusion there that could have been worked with a little bit more. I would have liked to have seen more from from the whoever played that that innkeeper. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's enough for me. That I think the, the the only issue I have with this whole movie is that it does kind of get pretty tidy towards the end. Like I get so enraptured with 
the characters and the situation. And it does kind of seem like it turns into kind of a silly action movie in those past 20 minutes uh, with a lot of like contrivances and like playful, clever ways to end everything. Mm. Um, I don't know, but maybe that's just me. No, the contrivance. No, I think you're right. I think you're right too, because the contrivance that stuck out to me that really bothered me actually watching it this time was like, I'm watching the movie. Ray's put on this train. The train leaves. The Canadian and, and the cop come and get Ray arrested. So they go back to Bruges. How the hell does Harry beat uh, Ray to Bruges from London? Like he's he's he he gets them there. I'm like that doesn't make a lick of sense. It's just I mean it was very much a Game of Thrones kind of uh, leap of geography. Hey! I'm just like, why? Because and they didn't even necessarily have to do it that way. They could have still had they could have still had Ray ma- beat him there, and it wouldn't have made a big difference. But I'm like, oh, yep. okay, so that was that was a little yeah. too neat, and it didn't necessarily make sense. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is too tight. It sucks. It'd be it's messy though. Too. I mean, you know, Harry kills himself, and Ray's like right. they're dying. And and Ken kills there's himself. Been another murder for no yeah. reason. And Ken, yeah. right? And the the dwarf actor is dead. I mean, it's pretty. The dum dums, but I, the dum dums uh, come full. Yeah. The dim dims, they they come full circle. That is, pretty, mm. I mean, everything that's introduced, like <laughs> Chekhov's gun, gets used every in every scene. I mean, like it all it all <laughs> pays off, which is pretty tight. That's true. So yeah. you're right. It is tidy in terms of the wrapping of it all up. It's a messy ending with violence, but I okay. I understand what you're saying there, Eric. It, if Harry had just gotten away with it all and strolled on home, I, would that make any difference to me? For the closure of this film, eh, I'm not sure it would. I, I think the the heart of the film and the why I like it more than I'd hate it, if that's the case, is little to do with the ending. Well, you know what sticks out to me is is not just that Harry kills himself and he's like, "Gotta stick to your principles" and all that. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he is at that point shot Ray three times, mm-hmm. and and he's just killed Jimmy, the 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 actor. And Ray is trying to tell him, don't kill yourself. <laughs> that, that wasn't really a young boy. You're fine. Go ahead mm-hmm. and just kill me, um, which I think is um, yeah. a big moment there, too, that is easy to gloss past. Yeah. But it's actually like, uh, again, like Ray has gone from being a, a, cent- a figure of death to, I think, a mm-hmm. figure of life. Yeah, that, it's almost like McDonough went for the easy joke instead of something a little bit more interesting, which could be a conversation between those two about how you should spare yourself and look past your own principles uh, and something like that. Just very easy. I don't know that the movie winding up on a conversation at that point would have really made sense. All the actors and everybody running around and like the blood. I, I don't know. I don't know how that would have played out on film. I think it's more satisfying with a the sharp crack of a gunshot myself. But. <laughs> yeah, is there, by the way, is the innkeeper like the only good person in this entire film? I mean, cause even Jimmy, the actor, he's oh racist. Yeah, against um, other black dwarves. He well, says that was cocaine. <laughs> oh right! right Didn't yeah. you know that cocaine makes yeah. you racist? I didn't know that, but now I do. <laughs> Shit! See, if I'd known that prior, it would have made a lot more sense to me. No, you're right. There's not a lot of redemptive characters in this movie. I mean, um, uh, the fat Americans aren't that bad, actually, <laughs> other than being fat. Um, the least of women folk. Um, yes. The uh, let's see. Obviously the um, the woman. You know, the, the, the innkeeper, like you say. Yeah. Uh, the drug dealer, uh, Farrell's kind of girlfriend, sort of. She She's... sucks. She sucks. Yeah. Uh, the cunt kids uh, suck. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, if we're to look into the the symbolism of the um, Hieronymus Bosch painting, The Last Judgment, that they're yeah. you know, staring at, I mean, it is nothing but a inner sanctum of ill redemptive people in need of you know some redemption. So, aside from the, I know this, you yeah. have that. Yeah, Did I you know, know this will never happen. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. And finish your thought. What would never? Happen? I know this will never happen, but I, I would die for a prequel with Harry and Ken, like a, a movie about those two oh. exclusively. But it would have to be played by. The, I would love to see Gleason and Fines just in a movie together with the dialogue. It's it would be highlight of my year. I would love to see the, that type of film. The animated film, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is Ken the hitman you want to hug or what? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I want to like, I want to sit down, and have tea with him, and and discuss history and and, and, yeah. and, and like architecture. Sightsee, I like want to get the programs and like look yeah. at every tiny little thing in town. Uh, did you yeah. did you notice all the don't look now kind of stuff going on with the movie? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, no, what do you that, mean? Clarify the, that. Uh, the 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 film Don't Look Now. Um, it, it's very much a filmmaker's film. It's like I I don't love it personally. I thought it was good. Um, but there's definitely a generation of filmmakers that are like obsessed with this Nicholas mm-hmm. Rogue movie, and uh, it it takes place in I think it takes place in I want to say Vienna, but yeah. it's, it's still very much like all of these alcoves and corners, and there's a dwarf, and I I want to say there's a film being shot in that movie too. I want to say, but lots of surreality kind of stuff. Um, just just not okay. like oh not not overt references to the movie itself just kind of like these kind of uh parallels i guess doesn't doesn't um the, our our girl say that they're remaking it is that uh, the film they're the the, yeah that the movie they're remaking, <laughs> remaking <that. laughs> I, I didn't even notice that that's so funny no i didn't get oh. that dude where's the dwarf talk we didn't talk um david yeah, Rappaport, Yep, yep. There's references to uh, Kenny Baker, right? Um, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, Ray is so obsessed with this, and it, obviously he's trying to probably distract himself from the terrible event that has occurred prior. But yeah, he's really hung up on it, and like also could have been some type of obsession he had that was just kind of kicked off by the fact that he met somebody who mm-hmm. might be going through that experience. But I will say, it's. If it's supposed to be funny, it's not really funny at all. It's just Ray being annoying. Yeah. But I actually think he it shows that he cares because he seems actually more than just an obsession with dwarves in film. He seems to feel really bad for them because he expresses a lot of things about it's such a painful life and people are you're constantly stared at or judged or mocked at times. And it does reveal a hint of empathy yeah. from Ray. Uh, yeah. I saw it that way. Not oh, just yeah. being annoying. Not just but being then annoying. Jimmy's like, that's the most fucked up shit you could say to me. Like that my whole oh, existence should make, <laughs> make, should make me want to kill myself. I, that's way more. I think Ray is projecting his own suicidal thoughts uh, onto those around him and like, and, and, and like finding ways to get there. Yeah. But uh, that was different times. There were different conversations when he said that in the Coke night, that was totally ridiculous. And it was out of the blue too. I suppose I should clarify by saying earlier in the film, when he's just kind of talking about it outside, it's much more empathetic. That one is a drug fuel. Just dude, what are you doing? You're a fucking dick. I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's possible. And I could probably make a case for Ray projecting that kind of guilt I was talking about on little people in general because of the grief he has over taking the life of someone that was small. Dude, how about that note that that little boy has, the things that he's oh, sorry so for? Bad. One of them is to, for so being sad. sad. 
I'm like, oh, oh buddy, that's not a sin. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. <laughs> heartbreaking and i guess that's one of the things about uh, so i have always had a deep appreciation for any piece of art that can straddle the line of um of uh, like hilarious offensive vulgarity and uh profound um comments on life and that kind of stuff and i think this movie does that it kind of has a foot in both those worlds and, and being silly and you know the sacred and the profane i guess <laughs> that's fair Wow, uh, we've talked a lot. Any final notes? Anything we didn't cover, boys, before we close this puppy down? Alcoves. Um, Alcoves, dude. Uh, well, I think I've said everything I want to say. Uh, uh, watch Calvary as soon as possible. It's Brendan Gleeson's uh, greatest performance. It's one it's of when the he plays the priest. The 2000s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good movie. Also, The General from 1998, the John Borman movie. Uh, it's a good movie. Oh, you know what What uh, I did want to mention? I think the funniest moment in the whole movie to me is uh, where... <laughs> <laughs> where Ray is like standing over, like he's just like had stolen all those drugs and he's standing over the dwarf and, and his prostitute. And he's like, you guys are weird. You want to do some cocaine? And then Brendan Gleeson comes back in and it's just like all eyeballs. Just <laughs> like staring at him. I was like, that's the funniest moment of the movie. It's not even really like a joke. It's just like the look on their face and like the, the situation that they both just put a gram of cocaine into their bodies. <laughs> so well, well done. Yes, I love that. This is actually an underrated drug film. It really is. Some, uh, it's not the whole movie, but there's a, a nice bit there in the middle to early middle part where they're on drugs and you're having drug conversations. It's well done. I'm glad you brought that up because I laughed out loud when I saw that face of Gleason's with his ears. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, so funny. <laughs> hmm. I'm ready right, to wrap it up. Yeah. All right, what do you think, Eric? <laughs> Yeah, I haven't gone first in a while. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. It just kind of it, it flows right by. I think it's just under two hours, but it's it's cut very effortlessly. I think that's one of the words I wrote down. Martin McDonough makes it very seemingly effortless. It's just a very clean film uh, in its editing and in its storytelling. Um, there's not very big pronounced arcs. Everything just kind of flows really smoothly and naturally uh <laughs> gorgeous cinematography man uh some of the most beautiful snow you'll ever see in a movie um performances are off the charts and i joke around and say that this is like uh 2000s gangster movie you know gun shy and lucky number 11 but this is like premium uh subgenre in that respect um i don't think it's like like the defining crown jewel of hitman comedy for the 2000s but it, it's definitely up there because it's so intelligent and as a morality play um and an exercise in you know catholic guilt or just a human human frailty and in, in in grief uh beautiful movie man martin mcdonough is a masterclass filmmaker and uh really enjoyed watching this time laughed out loud several times in um yeah, I, I love the movie. It holds up completely for me. All right. Mm, great job. Uh, for me, I would say, yeah, this one holds up. I had a feeling it would hold up before I sat down and watched it, even though I hadn't, I'd only seen it the one time, but it left a pretty big impact on me. And, um, and while there were definitely things I had forgotten, like I've forgotten the whole reason they were in bruise. I'm like, oh shit, that's dark. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the movie, it, like I said, it rides that rail. It, it really it does a few things at once. Um, 
even as it's a pretty simple buddy movie at the same time. It, it's it's a fun movie. It's a good cult movie. Um, there's not a lot of movies set in Belgium, so that's cool. Supposedly made that town like $8 million in uh, tourist uh, uh, funds. Profit. Hey! Good on them for that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Holds up for me. We didn't even mention Carter Burwell's beautiful piano playing. Uh, that electric guitar, though, man. Every time the electric guitar kicks <laughs> oh. in, like, Jesus fucking Christ. Turn off yeah. the man. What is oh. it? The Mannheim Steam Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> Mannheim Steamroller? Yeah. The Mannheim Steamroller. Trans-Siberian Orchestra. That's what I was trying to say. Because that's what oh. it fucking sounds like. I mean, with that, like yep. I mean, every time I hear an electric guitar in an orchestra, I'm like, get that thing out of there. Electric guitars playing Christmas music is fucking stupid. How do Come on, man. Gary Hoey. He makes a lot of money doing that. Good for you, Gary. Because people love it. Gary, retire. Gary, never give up the dream. You were saying Carter Burwell. Sorry. Carter Burwell. No, it's okay. He's he's really, really a personal favorite of mine. I mean, I think Raising Arizona, (laughs) when I think of him, probably. (laughs) That's what I probably think of him the most, but. Uh, it's not he's not one that we've talked a lot about on the show so it just popped in my head and that, yeah. it is a very clear score in that oh this is a christmas movie this could be fun that piano will take you immediately to where you're probably going so it doesn't really pull any punches or <laughs> kind of mysteriously reveal itself it's part of a film that is all kind of over the place in terms of if if you look at it from a critical eye with you know, as genre movies and the type of uh, tropes and subtypes of film that you might find across the landscape of the critical world of mm. movie analysis, but it doesn't matter because the dialogue is so damn good, so well written, so well directed, and the actors are all outstanding actors, even from the the tiniest characters in this film. Is that a pun? <laughs> I didn't mean to. I do oh. think this movie holds up. It's a lot of fun. It's also very sad. It's poignant. There's a lot of reasons to like in Bruges. Not a Christmas movie for you, the family, but if you put the kids to bed and uh, you know you and your significant other want to throw on a Christmas movie, throw on in Bruges. Why not? Okay. All right. Good so call, Aaron. Fine choice. Which means that our next person in the hopper is our very own Mike Govier. Well, it is the, it's the holiday season, folks. Yeah, and yeah. You know, Hanukkah starts Sunday, and unfortunately, Travis shit all over Eight Crazy Nights earlier Dude. in the broadcast. <laughs> it shits all over itself. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of Hanukkah movies I could really think of, so I'm not going to go in that direction. And... You know, it's Christmas. Uh, I really didn't know if I should do this or not, but it's been a while, and you guys are going to be immediately, you're going to have an immediate reaction to this. Uh, I'm not sure what it'll be, but I want to do it because it's been been 10 years, and I want to go back and revisit and find out if, you know, is this movie everything I thought it was 10 years ago? Does it hold up? Does it hold up or not? That's the main focus of this show. I... I think it might, but just to be clear and to say we did it on the show, it's time to do 2012's Silver Linings Playbook. There it is. Booyah. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Wow. Isn't this, like, 
Isn't this like one of your favorite movies of all time? Of all time, <laughs> it it has been in the past. Yeah, I haven't watched I haven't watched it religiously like I did. I watched it one time recently over the last six months, okay. and uh, well, so <laughs> I've, I've also, only watched it once in the past six months. So I haven't really watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, but actually, before that, it had been a few years because I I did burn myself out on it quite quickly there, and it does have. It's it's known for other things, but it certainly it does finish out in a Christmas atmosphere at the end of the year. So, mm-hmm. you know, borderline Christmas movie, maybe, maybe not. We'll find okay. out. Silver Linings okay. Playbook next week. Good call. Money it's been ten years. I'm I'm ready for a fresh look. Yeah, ten years later, I like to do anniversaries like that. Get it on the record because it literally was December 2012. I think mm-hmm. this movie came out. I actually mm-hmm. remember seeing this one in theaters for once too. Hey, so. right. me too. Yeah, I saw it at the uh, what do they call that thing? The the movie Maple theater? in Birmingham. That little oh. tiny theater there. Really? You guys are probably it's all it's off Woodward there in Birmingham. It's a tiny one. It's a very nice little theater. A little bougie, but believe you. No worse oh. for the wear. Okay, there it is. Cinema Nine Podcast. Cinema Nine Pod at gmail.com. Send us an email about anything you heard today. We hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. We'll be back next week with Silver Linings Playbook. He's Travis Roy. He's Eric Branch from Michael Govier. We love doing the show and we hope you enjoyed us doing it. Little fucking cut. Me? <laughs> I don't